And you may be seated. And welcome again to Riverside Calvary Chapel. If you're new or visiting, welcome. We're glad you're here. And, and if you haven't already hit the Welcome Center, if you're new, we've got a gift for you. We'd love to give to you. And so um, please do that on your way out. Hit the Welcome Center there in the foyer. And, um, and then you can make your way right now to John chapter 6. And, and I don't know if you've seen, we've got our new clock up finally back up on the wall. And so you know what that means now. Yeah. It means that I will know exactly how far over time I'm going each Sunday. I will know exactly. I've just gone 15 minutes over. It's right there in front of me. So this will be very helpful, be very good. Um, anyways, uh, yeah. So John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, if you just want to hold up your hand, because I'm going to have someone bring you a Bible right where you're sitting, so that you can follow along with us in God's Word. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. Hold up your hand. And someone's going to walk down the aisle and bring you one right where you're at. Just keep it up until you have it. And then uh, make your way to John's Gospel, Chapter 6. And so we are, are looking at just a wonderful um, passage of Scripture. It's a, a great section of Scripture because we're really looking at this, this power uh, on display. Power of God on display through the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're looking at this well-known miracle that Jesus did, the feeding of the 5,000. Right, And so this is something that's very common, we know. And, and it's a great passage because it's one of those few um, miracles, one of those few things that we see all the four Gospels recording. So it's in each of the four Gospels, we know that this has some great value, significance, and importance to us here. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6 in John's Gospel. It says this, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the, the Sea of Tiberias. Beautiful area. And, and let me just say, if you've never been to Israel before, <laughs> what are you waiting for? And we've got just the thing for you. A tour coming up next March. If you didn't get our email, uh, we sent out an email on Friday. Make sure you, you are subscribed to our email. You can do that right online and on our website, riversidecalvary.com. And then we've got, uh, we sent out info about um, our Israel trip. There's a brochure you can download. We'll have some physical brochures sent to us soon. But you can get that brochure now. And, and if you haven't been to Israel, pray about joining us next March because it's fabulous. And we get, to, we get to sail along the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. After this message, you may be a little bit frightened to sail on the Sea of Galilee. I should have not pumped it up on this message maybe, but we'll... We'll get there and uh, hopefully he'll be encouraged. But so here he is. He went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, what's interesting is, is John, as we know, is writing this passage here now, um, or, or writing the Gospel of John, I should say. He's writing the Gospel of John to really just be specific in what he is relaying about the person of Jesus Christ, the, the work of Jesus Christ. He's writing in a way so that we might all do what? That we might all believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing we may have life in his name, right? That's the specific purpose of John. And so he's very then specific in what he's writing. There's a lot of things that John doesn't put in his gospel, all right? Doesn't put in his writing uh, that you see in a lot of the other gospels. So what I'm saying is this, that there's been a lot of activity, a lot of things that are going on already in Jesus' life that we don't really see as you just track through John's gospel. John highlights some of the, some of the, the key things, the turning water to wine, the healing of the, um, the man by the pool of Bethesda, all these sorts of things, conversations with people that other gospels don't record, like the woman at the well. 
And so there's a lot of stuff that's been going on that we don't really see necessarily. And that's why, why John says here in verse 1, after these things. So we have to recognize that there's been a lot of stuff going on. In fact, why don't you turn with me to Mark chapter 6. And let's just kind of see in Mark's account here how he brings us up to speed on this same account here of the feeding of the, the 5,000. Go to Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Mark 6, verse 30. And so, it says there, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves, but the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep who didn't have a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the, the, um, it's already the, the hours late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. So, here in Mark's gospel now, we begin to see that this has kind of been a high point in Jesus' ministry. There's been a lot of activity, even the disciples now. They're going out, they're ministering, they're teaching God's word, they're seeing healings, miracles taking place, things that John's not even recording. Because remember, John says, if we were to record everything that Jesus did, not even all the libraries in the world would be able to contain the books that could be written about him. So there's lots of stuff going on. John just simply tells us after these things. But now we see the disciples, they've been engaged in ministry. They're going out, they're coming back to Jesus now. And they're reporting on all the things that have been happening. There's lots of activity, it's a high point. But now, what does Jesus say in Mark's gospel? He says, listen, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. I, I love that. I love the heart of Jesus that he's not just saying, hey, listen, guys, get busy, get active, just do and do and do and work and work and work. There's an, an importance for us, and that is that we are taking time with Jesus. And man, that's a difficult thing to do these days because we're living in this kind of culture where it's like we just can't keep up. You know what that's like. I know what that's like. There's times where you just feel like you just can't, you can't do anymore. And there's no time. And then, and then what oftentimes begins to happen is that that time with Jesus begins to slip aside and kind of get, get pushed over more and, and neglected and, and forgotten. But Jesus says, listen, guys. And Jesus, no doubt, is, is excited and blessed by all that's going on. But he says, take some time and get alone with yourself and just rest a while. Not just get alone with yourself, but get alone with God. And you see, what we see in Jesus' ministry is he's one that does the same thing. He saw the importance oftentimes of withdrawing and getting alone with his father. And if Jesus needed to do that, how much more do we? And I'm glad that Jesus, we serve a God that, that cares about that sort of thing, that knows that, hey, listen, there's, there's, there's work to be done, but that work is going to be very ineffective if we're not taking time to be with Jesus. If we're not growing in him and learning of him and just ha having that time of, of rest and receiving from him. And so, so important to be doing that. Jesus is encouraging his disciples to do just that. Now look at verse 2 in John chapter 6, 
verse 2. It says that then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he, he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. So these disciples are coming from all the different cities. They're even racing there before his own disciples get to the place where Jesus was. They knew where he was at and, and they're just attracted to him. They just want to come and fall. But what's really attracting them? You see, we're going to find out, not, not today here, but as we finish up John 6 in a couple of weeks here, we're going to find out that these people that are following and tracking with Jesus, they're more interested in their own self-benefit or what they can get out of Jesus. They're not looking just to come and follow Jesus for the sake of going, man, Jesus, we found we found that thing that we really need, that we're really, really desiring. We just want to be with you, Jesus. No, they're, they're coming because they think, this is the guy that's going to feed us, going to heal our sick, he's going to make us well. We're going to benefit, we're going to gain from this guy. And they're coming kind of with ulterior motives. And it's, and it's a good thing to ask ourselves at times to say, why am I living for Jesus? Why am I serving Jesus? Is it, is it for something that I think I'm going to gain or get out of it? Is there, is there ulterior motives in what I'm doing? Or am I just simply seeing that, man, I found the one that has saved me, forgiven me, he's given me life. My, my life is just his. I want to live for him. Now understand <laughs> that there is great gain and benefit from that. I'm not saying, man, you just got to live your life and, uh, and not worry about any benefits yourself. No, when we live our lives for Jesus, we benefit greatly. Why? Because we find life. There's life in him. You know, Paul would say in Romans 12 that, um, you know, I, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because this is your reasonable service. Why is it reasonable? Because Jesus already gave his life for you. So you could have life in him. So you could experience the blessed, abundant life in him. Yeah, there's great gain. There's great benefit. But my life is his and I'm following him, living for him, serving him simply because of what he's already done for me. I want my life to be just so set apart for him. And it's, it's reasonable because of all he's done for us. So may we come to him, just be thankful and just live in him and enjoy him just simply because of his goodness to us. So what's interesting is despite this crowd's kind of, for the most part, ulterior motives that they have, notice how Jesus responds. He comes and he just starts to minister to them. Matthew 14 verse 14 says that when Jesus went out and he saw a great multitude, that he was moved with compassion for them and, and healed their sick. Isn't that amazing? Jesus didn't sit there and stop them and say, oh, you're coming for the wrong reasons. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna help you. No, you got something else in mind. No, that's not what I'm about. He doesn't do it. He's moved with compassion for them. And he starts to minister to them, even though they might be selfishly driven in some ways. Man, what a great God we serve. Isn't he awesome? He comes and he just does that work and blesses them. Well, verse four tells us that the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. And so Jesus, he lifted up his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming toward him. He said to Philip, hey, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, John lets us know here, and he kind of, John is sort of tracking through these different Passover feasts that are taking place. It gives us a great kind of chronological timeline of the, 
the life and the ministry of Jesus here on earth. So he lets us know there's another Passover feast that was near. And so I think that's important because what would be happening is that the crowds would begin to be swelling and, and, and kind of increasing right now as pilgrims are making their way down to Jerusalem from different parts as they would come to observe the Feast of Passover right now. And so here's these crowds are just increasing. Many of them may have already come from long journey and they're, they're, they're hungry perhaps. They're in need. And so here Jesus sees this need before him. He's moved to the compassion. And so look at how he handles this now. The, the disciples, according to Mark 6.36, said, send them away. Jesus, we, we, they got to go and, and take care of themselves. We, they're, they're hungry, they're in need. What are we going to do? We can't do anything. Send them away. But look at what Jesus does. He asks Philip what to do. I love that. Philip, hey, buddy, what should we do? Where should we buy bread? We got to feed these people. Philip, what do you think we should do? Now, Philip is... From this area. So there's, there's a bit of local knowledge. He knows all the you know, fast food places to go and maybe get some food. And where to hit to get some you know, stuff. Um, but what's the situation here? Doesn't Jesus already know? Doesn't he, does he have all knowledge? Is, is he asking Philip? Because he's kind of, kind of throwing up his hands going, what are we going to do? No, that's not, that's not the Jesus we serve. Jesus knew exactly what he would do. In fact, the next verse goes on to say that this he said to test him for he himself knew what he would do. I love that. You see, Jesus was not asking Philip so that he could gain knowledge and figure out a solution. Jesus asks Philip so Philip could gain faith in what he would do, in what God would do, in what Jesus would accomplish here. Jesus didn't need to gain in knowledge, but he knew his disciples needed to gain some faith. And this would be an opportunity where he presents this to Philip. Philip, what do you think we should do? How should we handle this? Jesus will at times give us opportunities where we're going to be stretched, but they become opportunities where, where we begin to kind of grow in our faith and in our dependence of the Lord because we suddenly see that I've got no solutions in myself. I've got... I don't know what to do in this situation. And what do we do? We quickly turn to the Lord. Freaking out in a panic oftentimes, yes, but it causes us to turn to the Lord and say, Jesus, I need you. What are we going to do in this situation? Jesus is himself never saying, oh, I don't know. Why don't you tell me? He's saying, yeah. Let's work together here in this now. And let's provide an opportunity to see what God will do in this. And so Jesus will at times bring us and lead us into those circumstances and situations in our lives where suddenly we're at a loss of what to do. But it causes us all the more to look to God and to say, God, I'm at a loss and I need help. And it teaches us to to become reliant, dependent on the Lord, but it gives us opportunity for our faith to increase as we get to see what God will do in this and and through this now. Well, let's see how Philip's faith is doing. Look at verse 7. Philip answered him. He says, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may just have a little. 
So Philip starts doing the math. He's kind of crunching numbers. He's looking at the, the, the task at hand, the situation before him. He's kind of looking at the crowds going, oh my goodness, like 200 denarii worth of bread isn't even going to cover it. And a denarii, that was worth a day's wage. So in my calculations, about, you know, like $1,000 or something like that. Um, like, no, I'm just kidding. Like, come on. Yeah. So, um, pastors, we won't go by the pastor's salary because that will be totally. But this, this was a lot of money that they're seeing. They're looking at this going, that's a lot of money here. And, and, and a lot of money is just not even going to scratch the surface of really helping them. It's not even going to really provide just a little bit for them. You see, Philip is stuck kind of on the material and the physical means. How are we going to solve this? What are we going to do? Whereas Jesus is looking to pull him out from the natural and into the supernatural. He's desiring to bring his disciples out from their impossibilities onto God's possibilities. And that's why God brings us into these things at times. Because it teaches us to realize that what we see before us is not always what's before us. Right? It gives us opportunity to see that, man, I oftentimes look at and evaluate the situation before me based on what I see, whereas God is working in that realm of what I do not see. And he wants me to learn the value of looking to him, trusting in him, and walking by faith and not by sight. And when we begin to do that, we begin to see what God is able to do. We, we stop seeing our impossibilities and we begin to look more at God's possibilities and go, wow, I don't need to fret or fear in this situation. I don't need to panic because though I don't see solutions before me, God's never without solutions. So Andrew now, he comes along. Look at verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who's, who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? So here's Andrew now. Andrew comes along. And, and I love Andrew because Andrew's a guy that's always bringing people to Jesus. Whenever we see Andrew popping up on scriptures, it's like he's always kind of bringing people to Jesus. Now, Andrew's faith is not great. He's like, here, Jesus, here's something but, but really, what is this among so many? What is this possibly going to do and provide? How is this going to help? That's Andrew. But yet he realizes, we got to bring that to Jesus. And I wonder how he found this boy. Did, did this boy maybe present himself and say, hey guys, I see you talking about food, and uh, I've got a little bit here. And maybe this guy stands up and says, hey, Andrew, now, Andrew could have looked at that and said, oh, come on, buddy. What is that going to do? Forget it. No, what does Andrew do? Let's bring that to Jesus. We may not have much, but let's bring what we have to Jesus. And let's see what he can do with it. And Andrew does that. Now, if I were this boy, I probably would have been very tempted to say, well, pff, yeah, I mean, what is this going to do? Let's make sure that somebody goes home fed and satisfied rather than Everybody going home with empty stomachs. Somebody might as well enjoy this food. And since I brought it, I'll be the guy that enjoys it, right? That's kind of would be my mentality. And I'd probably be finding a place where I could tuck away and hide and just kind of eat this without causing anybody else to be jealous. 
would I be willing to give up what I have? I'd be justifying saying, well, I'm the only one that thought about bringing food. What's the matter with everybody else? I'm not going to be responsible for their foolishness. I'm making excuses, making up, making up, you know, justification for, for eating it. But this young boy is ready to give it all over to Jesus and say, Jesus, here, here's what I got. I want to offer this to you. He gave all that he had for the Lord. He gave up his own comfort of a decent meal that Jesus might in turn use that to bless others. And here's the great thing is that now this young boy, he got to be a part of seeing God do something great. He got to be one of the the people that were very instrumental in seeing a miracle performed. He got to kind of partner with the work of the Lord. See, here's the great thing. When we're willing to give what we have to the Lord, we, we get to take part in just the, the privilege and joy of seeing God use that in, in blessing others. And we get to see what God's able to do through what we give Him and see this kind of increase. We might be holding on to something and going, well, what can this really do? How is this really going to be effective? But when we're willing to give it over to the Lord, guess what? We get to see Him do great things with it and bring immeasurable more value out of that. We get to see him perform miracles through that which we offer over to the Lord. Well, let's see how this all works out here. Verse 10. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Now, let me just say, um, the Bible just records that there were 5,000 men. So there's crowds here. And so there would have been women and children there. So very likely, the crowd was way more than 5,000. Upwards maybe 15,000. We don't know exactly, but that could be a very safe and and conservative number. So not only is this an incredible miracle of feeding the 5,000, but more so, it's a feeding of 15,000. I mean, this this is huge what Jesus is doing. And he causes everybody to sit down. And, and Jesus, in verse 11, he, he took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples then to those that were sitting down, and likewise other fish, as much as they wanted. Now, first of all, let me just say, I think that's great that Jesus just says, everybody sit down, right? Everything God does, he does decently and in order. See, there's no, there's no rush to get up there. To the first of the buffet line there's nobody trying to like you know get in the way or or people holding spots in this is safe for friends summaries around your summer there's no jockeying for position there's no stampede there's no rush and just kind of trying to get this everybody's just called to sit down be patient and wait on the lord isn't that what he calls us to do oftentimes just just wait on me don't don't get in a panic. Don't get in a, in a hurry and trying to make things happen as we oftentimes do when we're in need and we're feeling like, ah, I got to do something. I got to make something happen. And we start moving ahead of the Lord. We start rushing. We start trying to make things happen. Whereas Jesus says, just sit down, relax. Wait on me, rest in me, trust me. And he does that with the, with, with the crowds here. And so they sit down. And then, He brings the disciples along, again, just in service of the Lord, taking part in what God's doing. And he, and Jesus, it says, he gave thanks. He, he gave thanks for this food. 
tells us in the Gospels that he looked up to heaven. He gave thanks. He's, he's recognizing the source of all of our provision. That God is the one that supplies our need. The Bible says he'll supply all your needs according to his riches and grace. It's immeasurable. God never runs out of resources. And he'll supply all your needs. And so here he is, he's giving thanks. And I think that's so wonderful. Because how often would we be sitting in the situation, not giving thanks, but rather grumbling? Lord, what are you doing? Why don't I have anything to eat? How come you're not providing for me? Look at all these people now. And we can easily get in that place of complaining and grumbling. I love the story of, of George Mueller, a great man of faith. One of the heroes of faith who, who ran you know, an, an orphanage, cared for kids. And there are stories after stories of just seeing how God provided. There are stories of him who he would sit down for a meal with his family for dinner. But they would have no food. They would literally sit down at the table and George Mueller would just start by giving thanks to God. But yet there was no food. And he would just give thanks to God's provision and care. And as he'd be praying, there'd be all of a sudden a knock on the door. And he'd go to the door and open the door and nobody would be there. But somebody had come by and honestly dropped off groceries, food, supply for what they needed. Just giving thanks for who God is and what he's done and trusting him to come alongside and provide. And Jesus does, does that here. He gives thanks for what, not for what they don't have, or grumbles over what they don't have, but he gives thanks for what they do have. And he blesses it. So, look at that there. At the end of verse 11, the disciples are giving out food. Notice those last few words there. As much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. How awesome is that? And now in verse 12, so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Do you see that? When they were filled the crowd was able to eat as much as they wanted. You know those buffets, right? Where they, they legion, but they got limits on it. It's like, you know, only, only two times you're on the table, people, you know. Don't go crazy now. Don't bring your, you know, your cooler with you here and start loading it up. No, just use the plates that are provided for you. There's some limits. But here Jesus says, there's no limits. Give them as much as they want. And they all ate until they were filled. Until they were satisfied isn't that the way it is with jesus only he can bring the satisfaction to our lives that we're craving and desiring it's like what he said to the woman at the well told you're going to need to keep coming back to this well because you're going to keep being thirsty but the water he desired to give her would become a fountain springing up to everlasting life where it'd be satisfying to her See, Jesus desires to bring that true and lasting satisfaction into our lives where we're filled with just his goodness and his grace. The world can't do that. And there are countless people that are are looking to be satisfied because they're recognizing that there's something inside, innate, that isn't satisfying them apart from a relationship with God. We've been created by God and we've been created to be in a relationship with him. Sin broke that. 
And there are people now today that are feeling that void, that emptiness apart from God. And they're going, how can I correct this? How can I, how can I balance this out? How can I find that satisfaction? So they're turning to the wells of this world to try to find satisfaction in that activity or that item. That drug, that relationship. And they're quickly realizing that it doesn't satisfy. Only Jesus can do that. A life that is in him. That's received his forgiveness and his grace. That's re, uh, uh, where persons repented of their sin. And put their trust in Jesus as their savior. To where he is now their life. That's when a person experiences that true satisfaction having that that void truly filled well jesus does this great miracle here he provides for them and now not only does he provide for the crowds but look at how he provides for his disciples who who take part in 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 serving the lord they all get 12 baskets Full of leftovers. I mean, these guys ate until upwards of 15,000, maybe more. They ate until they were satisfied and there were still leftovers. Twelve basketfuls that were, or or filled baskets that the disciples were able to take. And that's amazing. It's incredible. From just five barley loaves and two small fish. We're not talking tunas here or king salmon. Two small fish. Barley loaves, it was a cheap kind of bread, fit almost more for animals than it was for humans. And yet God took this and blessed it and multiplied it and left everybody satisfied. And his disciples now get to return home with some of this for themselves. I love how how God just provides for us. When you step out and service to the Lord, sometimes we think, well, how's that going to work? How is God going to, you know, meet that need? Do I, am I able to make this work and do that? Man, I'll tell you, you'll always be blessed when you step out and you just give your life over to the Lord and you serve Him and you make yourself available to Him. God will do that work in you and through you. Look at verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So this great act pointed people to the power that God had given to Jesus. And it's why John includes it here in his book. And since his crowd now witnessed this incredible display of power, they perceived that only a person from God could do that. And so they recognized this must be the one that we're waiting for. This must be the prophet, the very one that Moses wrote about, that they were all waiting for and looking to. And we talked about that last week. It tells us in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 and 18, that Moses wrote about another prophet coming on the scene like him. They saw that to be the Messiah. And so now they see Jesus doing this, and they're recognizing this is the guy we're waiting for. This must be the Messiah. But see, they had kind of a faulty view uh, of what their Messiah was going to be. They believe their Messiah to come on the scene as a political leader. That he was going to come and, and reestablish that, that throne uh, of Israel. And that independence of Israel. That they would be able to break free from Rome and be that kind of sovereign nation again. That's what they saw the Messiah doing and being. That he would be a leader politically and overthrow Rome. So now 
Jesus understands that they're beginning to recognize this is more than just some man. This must be the guy we're waiting for. This must be the, that prophet Moses spoke about, the Messiah that we're expecting. And so Jesus knew, if that's where the thoughts are going, that they're going to want to bring him along and, and, and by force kind of put him on the throne, put him in that position and say, okay, Jesus, let's go after Rome now. Let's take them down. This is the time. This is when it's all going to happen. And this is not the time for it to happen. Listen, that's going to happen when Jesus comes at his second coming. He'll come again after the tribulation, his second coming to this earth. And it's then that he'll set up his kingdom. An earthly kingdom. A physical kingdom. Where everything is going to be in submission to him. But he came that first time to do a different work. And that was to come and and give of himself, that we might be fit for the kingdom, that we might be forgiven of our sin, brought into a right standing with God, so that we might be those that are able to occupy that kingdom that Jesus comes and does. The first coming was to establish that. The second coming will establish his rule on this earth. The first time, it was his rule in our hearts, giving our lives to him. The second time, it will be his rule on a physical throne here on this earth. So this was not the time. And Jesus is in complete control. He's always in control. And so what happens? Jesus just kind of withdraws. He, he slips away. Now, it tells us in verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, it's I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So Jesus went and had his disciples go and get into boat. Now Jesus directed them in all this. This wasn't just their own doing. Jesus directed in this, in this, and then Jesus went to pray. And while this is all unfolding, they're out on the, the lake of Galilee, and a storm comes where they're just straining at rowing. They're struggling out there in the storm. But, but then you ask, well, why did Jesus send them out on the lake? Didn't he know that a storm was going to be coming? Isn't he aware of all this stuff? Yeah, he is. And just like we saw earlier, Jesus is going to bring us into situations and give us opportunities for us to exercise our faith and trust and dependence on him. You see, the disciples that have been riding quite a high at this point, right? We saw in Mark 6 that they've already been involved in teaching and, and taking part in seeing this work of God. Now they just experienced this incredible miracle of the feeding of the 15,000. And they got to be those that were right alongside Jesus distributing the food. They could have been thinking, oh man, people are really going to think we're special now. They're at a high point in ministry. And it's easy when we're in that place to just start to begin to coast and think, oh, I've got this figured out now. I know how this all unfolds, how this all works out, man. And we start to get into cruise control and think, we got this. I know just what to do. I saw exactly how Jesus prayed, how he broke that bread. I got the formula down. I know exactly what to do now all on my own. And he sits at this high point and 
their ministry that Jesus allows them to go through a storm. Why? Because it brings them right back to where they always need to be. Living in dependence on the Lord. Saying, Jesus, I'm nothing without you. I'm just straining at the oars if I don't have you. Or if I'm not looking to you. If I'm not leaning on you. If I'm not depending on you. I'm just straining at the oars here. So storm comes so that, again, they might just grow in their faith. It causes them just to get back on track with Jesus. And we also need to recognize that just because we may be walking the Lord's will, it, it doesn't mean that we're always going to have clear sailing. Because the disciples, they did exactly what Jesus asked them to do. Get in a boat. Go across over to Capernaum. They do exactly what he tells them to do. And yet they encounter a storm. Same thing happened with the three Hebrew boys in, in, in Daniel who were thrown in the fiery furnace. They were doing exactly what they needed to do in, in, in following in obedience to God and yet they encountered a trial. But it was in that trial that they got to see Jesus all the more. As Jesus comes alongside them. It tells us in Mark chapter 6 verse 48 that he saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. So understand this, that while they're out on the sea and they're straining at, the, at, at, at rowing and getting anywhere and they've been doing this for a long time and they're probably wondering, Jesus, where are you? What does the word tell us? He saw them. He knew. He knew exactly what they were going through. And what is he doing? He's praying for them. Do you know that Jesus is praying for you? He sees all that's going on in your life right now. And he's interceding for you. He, he said it to, to Peter in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. It tells us in Hebrews 7.25, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, when you might feel like you are struggling, or maybe as though you've been abandoned and you're wondering, God, where are you? Understand that Jesus has not abandoned you. He sees exactly where you are, what you're going through, and he's interceding for you. I love what we read next. It's about the fourth watch of the night here, which is between 3 and 6 a.m. The Lord has let them have some difficulty. Right? He's let them go at it for a bit. But now when things get to a certain point, it says he came to them walking on the sea. That's amazing, right? He doesn't call out to them and say, hey guys, just jump out, swim to shore. No, he, he goes to them. He comes to them. He comes to where you are in your hurt, in your situation. He doesn't say, hey guys, just keep going, just get through it. No, he comes to you to offer help. And strength. And he comes walking and see again this great display of power. He's just multiplied food to feed uh, uh, a number, thousands of people. And now we see him having power over just, just physical elements, walking on water. See, Jesus is not limited by anything. He can walk through a wall, he can go from this place to that, he can walk on the water, he can make two small fish. Five loaves of bread, feed thousands of people. Like, Jesus isn't limited by anything. Whatever you think might be 
getting in the way and going, oh, this is, this is not going to work. There's an obstacle here. Jesus is not limited by anything. And so he, he comes to them. And I love in the other Gospels we read that, you know, they're, they're seeing this, this figure out on the water. He just comes walking out to them. And they perceive it was a ghost. Now, the winds are blowing. The sea's roaring. I mean, there's, there's ways. And so Jesus is probably like walking up, up on a wave, and then coming down. And all of a sudden that wave sort of blocks the disciples from seeing this figure. Uh, and they're going, there he, there he is. And all of a sudden he's, wait, where'd he go? Where is he? Oh, there he is over there. Where, wait, where do you go? And they just, and they're thinking it's a ghost and they're freaking out. And Jesus is just out there casually strolling along. It tells the Mark's gospel that he would have almost passed them by. He's just out strolling along. Hey, look at you guys. All right. He's just walking by. Having a little Sunday stroll on the Sea of Galilee. But they call out to him and, they, and he comes to them. And he comes with comfort and grace. He's not condemning them. He's not going, what's the matter with you guys? Why can't you get through this? Where's your faith? No, he comes in with comfort and grace. He says, it is I, do not be afraid. Do you see that there? Right in verse 20. It is I, do not be afraid. I love how this ends in verse 21. Then they willingly received him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Listen. He will see you through the storm. When Jesus came to them and they, they received him, it says that they were immediately at the place that they needed to be. is that incredible? We may feel at times as though we're going nowhere or that we're never going to make it to that destination. But when we bring Jesus into our lives, we're going to indeed reach that place that he has for us because he's going to guide us, he's going to help us. And it's a great picture of our salvation. Because in our salvation, we don't have to work for this or strain for it. Some people have that mentality that's like the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, that we've got to just fight through this life. And we've got to keep rowing and working and trying our hardest just to reach heaven. And that we'll do it through our good works, through, through being a good person. But it's a strain. We've just got to keep at it. And maybe, just maybe, we'll be rewarded with heaven. That's not what Jesus teaches us. Because as soon as you invite Jesus into your life, and not just invite him to be a part of your life, but when you invite him to be your life, guess what? You're born again. You're a child of God. Your name's now written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have a destination of heaven that you don't have to work for because it's already been given to you Free of charge by grace. If you haven't invited Jesus into your life today, I encourage you, don't put that off. Because this isn't about religion and works. This is about recognizing the only good person who's done the work for us by dying on a cross, taking the judgment of God upon himself to spare you. That all those that simply believe or put their trust in Jesus are saved. They won't perish, but they have now eternal life. All those that have put their trust in Jesus are saved. You just bring him into your life. And not add him to your life, but you say, Jesus, I'm repenting of my sin. I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning to you. I need you to be my life. Be my savior. And when you do that, you're saved. 
You've already arrived. You're a child of God. That's the great picture that we see here. What a wonderful work that Jesus has done for us. What a great display of power that he's given us here in this first part of the chapter. Well, next, in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll talk more through this and begin to see how this was all kind of connected to him and what the result of that was. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to just close with a song and give us an opportunity just to kind of reflect on this word. And maybe um, there's some things that the Lord has been just speaking to you and to your heart in. Just a couple of things that we can kind of just look at regarding this passage. Whatever it is you bring or offer for the Lord's service, know that He can do immeasurably more with it than you think. Maybe there's something in your life right now that you've been kind of holding back or holding on to. Think, I don't know if I'm ready to give this up. I don't know if this is going to even be of any good or value. Maybe there's something that the Lord is calling you to just release to Him, to, to say, Jesus, I want you to use this. I want you to work through this. I want you to bless this and, and, and multiply that for your glory. Secondly, whatever storms might be blowing in your life, remember that Jesus sees and he's interceding for you and he will bring you safely through. But in that, he wants us to learn, to develop just that faith and dependency on him, to trust him, to learn of him, and to be sure that your life is in Christ today. Would you stand? And let's just take this time to, to just go before the Lord and to set this word, kind of just do its work in our heart here today before we move on to other activities and just uh, allow God to speak to us. Lord, we just ask that you would just do this work now, Lord, and just, not just letting us be hearers of your word, but to see this word planted in our heart, that we might be doers of it, living it out. And so whatever there is from this passage that you want us to learn from and grow in, I pray that you would do that, reveal that to us. And we just look to you right now to do that work in us now. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.